Welcome to Inside the Match, where Alex and Simone talk residency applications. We are two residents here to help you navigate the match. For each podcast, we'll bring you residents from various specialties and backgrounds to give advice. Hi, Sophia. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Simone, for hosting this podcast for the students inviting me. Looking forward to talking today. So where are you in residency and what specialty are you in? I'm a general surgery chief resident at Massachusetts General Hospital, and I will be starting a surgical oncology fellowship next summer at Memorial Sloan Kettering in New York City. Wow, super impressive. So you also just went through the virtual interview trail for fellowship. That's right. I completed 14 virtual interviews and I made a rank list and matched completely through a virtual process. Wow, that sounds exhausting, but also very familiar to people going through the match through residency. So I know that Harvard doesn't have the AOA or gold humanism for a medical school. Can you tell me if that affected you at all throughout the process and if people asked you about that on the trail? I think it didn't affect me at all and in some ways is advantageous for students at uh, institutions who don't have those organizations because I was able to state that my school didn't have AOA or a gold humanism society and I was able to be evaluated on other aspects of my application. So since you just went through the virtual interview process, I was wondering if you had any tips for those that are going to go through the process in the next two months. I do. I have many tips for people who are about to go through virtual interviews, and I will share my three top tips for applicants. My first tip is that you still need to engage in all of the standard interview preparation that you would if you were going to go do an in-person interview. The process of doing mock interviews, preparing for specific interview questions that are most common in your specialty, putting on a suit and having a mentor give you constructive criticism about your answers, all of that is still really important on the virtual interview trail. And then I would say my second tip for applicants is to remember that you're now projecting a digital version of yourself. And in some ways it's closer to acting because you're interviewing through a screen. In fact, two screens, your screen and then the interviewer's screen. And it's actually very easy for people to get distracted on their screen. So you want to do everything in your power to keep your digital image of yourself as non-distracting as possible. So think about what's in your background, what are you going to do with your hands, make sure that you are sitting in a comfortable chair so you're not constantly fidgeting or adjusting your posture. And then my final interview tip is that I do believe it's possible for you to convey your achievements and your personality through a web-based interview platform. But the way to do that is to spend a lot of time reflecting on who you are as an applicant and where you're going in your career so that you can speak to those very, in a nuanced and articulate way. And that process will also help you understand what you need to get out of the program. I actually don't think the loss of information is from the direction of the applicant to the program. I think the loss of information is from the program to the applicant. 
And so you need to know what you want out of your career so that you can ask relevant questions of the program and figure out if it's a place that's going to help you get to where you want to be. Those are fantastic tips. It's such a new process, not only for the applicant, from all, but also the program. So it's important to be able to get the most out of the interviews and answer questions that you aren't able to find on a website or a social media page. So that brings me to your residency interview. I'm curious what parts of your ERAS application interviewers most commonly brought up during the interviews that you went on. Yeah, I would say I was a little bit of an atypical applicant to general surgery, which some people might think is a bad thing, but I tried to use it to my advantage in the interview process. And the thing that made me atypical is that I got a master's degree in education during medical school. And so people always wanted to talk about that and how I saw a medical education career for myself, what I would want to accomplish and how a master's degree in learning and teaching was going to help me get there. I think any applicant who has something unique about their application needs to be prepared to talk about that, whether you're coming from a different career entirely, or if you're an older applicant, if you have some unique research area, I think you should really highlight that and use those as assets to stand out in the interview process. Those are great tips, whether you know it's a master's of education, a master's of public health, an MBA, or even time between your undergrad and medical school where you were doing AmeriCorps or Teach for America. Those are great things to discuss and sometimes often forgotten when we always want to speak about medicine and how our hopes and dreams are within science. It's important to talk about other interests as well. Yeah, I totally agree. I wrote very sparingly about my hobbies. I know some people write a little bit more in depth, but I just wrote a few words. And one of the things I wrote was backcountry backpacking. And it actually came up on my interviews, even for surgical oncology fellowship, people wanted to know about my hobbies. And I remember hearing my panel of interviewers at MGH kind of all take a deep breath in when one of them asked me about backcountry backpacking and I told them I had slept in a tent for 21 nights in a row in the Canadian Rockies. And it's those small details, I think, that can help you at least be memorable. Yeah, you know, and sometimes we get asked tough questions on the interview trail, and those can be a little bit more daunting. So can you give examples of tough questions that you were asked on the interview trail? I think a very common question, especially for students going into general surgery, is going to be why you want to go into your given specialty. And I think despite how common it is, it's often a very tough question for students to do well on. So for example, tell me why you want to be a surgeon. If you're applying in a surgical field and you plan to answer this question by saying that you like to work with your hands, that you've always wanted to be a surgeon, or that you just want to do the hardest thing, I think that's going to garner a big thumbs down from your interviewers because these are very cliched. It's very trite. And what's most worrisome to the program is that these are answers that are not nuanced, have depth, or signal to them that you have a deep understanding of the field and that you will not be one of the 20% of interns who will leave the field. 
programs want individuals who are going to complete general surgery residency, which lasts from five to seven years in addition to a one to three year fellowship. And so they're gonna be looking for applicants who have already identified something that is meaningful and sustaining about the field that's going to get them through that rigorous training process. So I would encourage every student, especially the students who are going into surgery to think really hard about how they're gonna answer that question in a way that convinces their interviewers that they're gonna make it to the end of their training. The other, um, yeah, it's so common, but I think that's often a, a question that people really flop on. And, you know, another thing is people always wonder at an academic question, how at an academic center, how will answer research questions? Did you ever get any questions in regards to your research or how you would do research in the future that were challenging? Yes, I think that's another really important question for students who claim that they're going to be an academic physician. I think many students, when they show up at their interview, when they're asked, what is your career trajectory, will say, I want to be an academic surgeon, I want to be an academic psychiatrist or pulmonary critical care, whatever you're interested in. And you need to be able to back that up and show that you've put some thought into what that means for you. So when I showed up to my interviews and said that I wanted to do surgical education research, I once got a question that was along the lines of, you got some big amount of money, no strings attached to do research that you think is really important that will define your career what is that research project going to be? And if you've come into the interview saying that you're gonna make an investigation or research contribution to your field, you should be prepared to answer a question along those lines. I have to say that my master's degree really saved me in this case because I was required to write research proposals as part of that degree. And so I was able to rely on that. But any student who goes through this process and flags themselves as a future academic, I think should be prepared to answer a very specific focused question about what their research portfolio will look like. And also be prepared to talk about your current research portfolio, whether it be a paper or poster or presentation to know what you specifically did within that project and then that, you know, how you plan to incorporate research into such a busy residency, like within surgery. Yeah, so, I think that's a great point. You know, it's unfortunate, but sometimes we get asked inappropriate questions on the interview trail. And I'm wondering how you advise applicants respond to these questions, especially when they aren't common, but they, they can occur. Yeah, that's such a great, great point to bring up. And unfortunately, the research shows that women and people of color are more likely to receive these, quote, illegal questions. Oftentimes, they're questions about whether you have a spouse and what your spouse does, or if you have children. I actually think that most of the time, it's just the interviewers being awkward and falling back on the kinds of questions you would use in a normal social situation to try to gain familiarity with the applicant. But I 
did consider it a red flag at programs where numerous interviewers were asking those types of questions or it was clear that it was part of their selection process. And unfortunately, there are programs like that out there. I think everyone has to simulate in their mind how they're going to be comfortable responding to those questions without totally derailing their interview day. Surgery is a very small field and I didn't want to reply to anybody in a way that seemed rude or inflammatory or would come back uh, to my mentors say about how um, you know, overly sensitive I was. So I always answered the questions honestly, but only to the limit of information that I was comfortable sharing. For example, I shared that my partner worked in technology and I didn't necessarily share that he worked at a particular company that's actually incredibly geographically narrow in terms of where he could work, for example. Um, and I didn't share that we were planning to get married in the future. So everyone has to decide how much information they're willing to share. And then I, I just tried to keep it light and move the conversation on from that as much as possible or be positive about it. So for example, as a woman being asked about my marital status, talking about how grateful I was to have a partner who wasn't in medicine, for example, so that I could really pursue surgery um, and have somebody who had normal working hours at home. Those are great tips and important not only for surgery, but all specialties to realize what their comfort level is in, in answering a question from any sort of attending on the trail. Did you ever yeah. get asked any like unusual or unique questions? One question that I remember really well from one of my interviews was the interviewer wanted me to describe in very specific detail a case that I had witnessed as a medical student, case meaning an operation. And he wanted me to tell me, or he wanted me to tell him what I learned from that case. And I actually did not have a specific operative case planned. I had had a, my kind of patient who made me want to become a surgeon planned, prepared to talk about that patient, but I didn't have a specific operation prepared. And so I had to come up with an answer on the spot. Ultimately, I talked about a case of an unknown gastric mass and how what impressed me about the operation wasn't the technical difficulty of the operation, but just about how the perioperative planning was so critical because what happened in the operation would, would depend kind of on how the initial first few steps went. And I think in that setting, the interviewer was looking for somebody who is perceptive and who can learn by watching. And again, I think responses that would have been less impressive would have been about watching cases that are so unusual, the zebras or just wanting to do the hardest thing or most complex thing because those don't happen on a daily basis. And so I think he was looking for thoughtfulness and again, that the person would have a sustainable interest in the field. And I think for other specialties, I'm sure it's the same in psychiatry, they might ask about a memorable patient you definitely want your memorable patient or case to be in the specialty you're applying to and uh, think about 
what kind of values or meaning you can draw out and demonstrate what kind of physician you're going to be in the future? That's a tough question, but also a good one. And, you know, sometimes it can also be overwhelming when you have to ask a program director questions. You know, you gain a lot of information from the program director, but it can be intimidating when you have to actually put down a question and then say it when you're in their office or when yeah. you're in their virtual room. So what questions do you advise applicants ask a program director during these virtual interviews? I think the perennial question that students use is something along the lines of what changes do you anticipate to implement in the next few years? And especially in a program like any surgical specialty that's so long, you want to know what you're signing up for and if there's any key aspect of the program that's going to change while you're there. But I think a better question for the program director is to ask them to give you examples of how they've changed the program in the recent past in response to resident feedback. And the reason I would recommend that question is because it shows you that the program director has been willing to create a dynamic residency program. When you hear them talk about resident feedback, I think that will give you a sense of how they value the resident voice in decision making. And then I think depending on how big of a mountain they've moved in the last few years, you can see how much clout or agency the program director has to change the program. I would be really wary of programs where the program director says they haven't made any changes in the last few years in response to resident feedback. Residents always have feedback and they are always making suggestions of ways to improve their program. And you want to go to a place where they are responsive to the residents and are willing to try to make changes. Those are great things to talk about. It's very important to see how a program has changed over time in regards to feedback. And it's also important to ask questions of residents. So I'm wondering if you have any recommendations for what applicants should ask when they're speaking with a resident at a pre-interview virtual dinner. Yeah, this is, I think, probably the area of the interview experience that suffers most from the virtual platform because you won't have the opportunity to go to that dinner in person and move from table to table and hear the perspective of so many different trainees. So I think every applicant should really arm themselves with questions that are important to them about a program's culture and what they're looking for. I would say that in a surgical residency, which is often a smaller sized residency, you don't have a Jeopardy resident or a backup resident because you don't want a resident just waiting around. You want every resident doing cases or in the ICU or seeing consults. And so surgical residencies are often pretty lean. And I think what you wanna know for a surgical applicant is the culture of cost coverage, because one surgical resident out can lead to a lot of extra work for other people. And you wanna to go to a program where people give cost coverage generously and without expectation that you're gonna necessarily return the work hour for hour. I would challenge residents to give examples of when they've asked for cost coverage and what happened in that case 
or ask them to give examples of when they provided cross coverage to a resident in need. Remember, all of us have aging parents or family members. The burden of mental um, health diseases in resident physicians is very high, and so it's very common for residents to have a crisis where they need that extra time off for themselves. And I think you really want to go to a program where they speak openly about how they support residents in crisis and where people will all be, where every resident you talk to says, yeah, this person needed to fly across the country. So I took trauma call on five minutes notice and I was happy to do so. And I know they would do the same for me. That's probably the most important thing that I would look for in a residency program culture. Those are incredible tips and those are ones in which you don't see asked very often. And no matter if it's a surgical residency or non-surgical one, I think cross coverage is an important thing to talk about to see how well the residents support each other. And to ask for specific examples is key and something that a lot of residents also forget to do. Uh, so important not only for the resident to remember, but also the applicant to ask for more specific details. So, you know, decisions when it comes to ranking are always stressful. So I'm curious what you recommend an applicant do when they're putting together a rank list and what you did in regards to playing a role when you were making your rank list when it came to February when you put yours together. Yeah, here I, I feel like a broken record sometimes with the medical students because I tell the students that up until this point in your career, it's been very linear. You took the same pre-med classes as all the other people who entered medical school with you. You all went through the same medical school application process. And now you're at this branch point in your career where there's suddenly so many different specialties. And within each specialty, so many different pathways and trajectories, and there's so many ways to make a contribution to medicine that's meaningful and important. And there's no longer a best way to do it. And so you need to decide how you're going to do it and what your values are. And depending on how you want to contribute to medicine, the best program for you is may be different than the best program for your closest friends in the same medical school class. And so I would really encourage the applicants to spend a lot of time in self-reflection and think about what matters to them. For example, I wanted to spend a lot of time on surgical education. That meant that I needed to go to a residency program where there were actually faculty who are national experts in that field and that reduced the number of programs that I applied to just on that variable alone. Like I said, I have a partner who's now my husband, and he had a very specific job and could only work in a select few cities, and so that further narrowed where I could go to residency and be happy at home, and therefore happy at work for seven years. Um, you know, I'll give an example of one area where my residency is not strong. We do not have a history of sending rural general surgeons out into the world. And so if you want to be a rural general surgeon, 
you should look for a program that has a track record of producing that type of physician or nurturing people who are going in that direction. Um, there were only two programs that I interviewed at that used the word family to describe their residency culture, and that's what I really needed for myself because I, um, I was geographically far from my actual family, and so I, I kind of wanted to be at a program that would have that strong culture of cross coverage and support. And so I ranked those two programs, number one and number two. Other people, if you're planning on going to a residency where your extended family already lives, maybe that's not as important to you, and you can, you can focus on other aspects of the program. Well, one thing that I've learned about you through this interview is that you are a leader and you will continue to be a leader within medical education and surgery. And so from all of the facts and things that you've told us in regards to interviews, they've been so helpful. And I just want to give you a chance to offer anything else about the application or residency interview process. Yeah, I really want to reassure the medical students or the residents who are applying to fellowship that the virtual interview process will not take away your ability to demonstrate who you are as an applicant or highlight your achievements or even convey your personality. And so you should have a lot of confidence going into the virtual interview, knowing that if you are going to do well in the in-person interview, you will continue to do well in the virtual interview. My, my biggest loss, or what I think is the biggest loss from the virtual interview process is, like I said, learning about the program and getting all of that informal knowledge about its culture, its location, the physical space that you will be in for so many years. That's where the virtual interview really fails relative to the in-person interview. And so if you come up with a plan for how you're going to fill in the gaps of that knowledge for the aspects of programs that are important to you that might be the restaurant scene in a city or the outdoors opportunities in a place or what the commute is like or how much childcare costs then you're going to do great in the virtual interview process and I, I hope the applicants spend as much time thinking about how the programs need to impress them as they do about how they're going to impress the programs those are very important things to remember and we love to interview people and learn all about them through their tips but we also like to ask a fun fact so i was wondering if you could share a fun fact about yourself sophia yeah i think that i did a lot of my virtual interviews in yoga pants <laughs> and i also wore house slippers for every single one of them so I do enjoy thinking about how I matched to Memorial having worn yoga pants to that interview and it's, and it's fine. <laughs> oh, it's a great thing to remember. I love the idea of slippers instead of high heels, high heels. So that's all the time we have today with Sophia. Thanks for joining us at Inside the Match. Special thanks to Kevin McCloyd for the music and be sure to follow or subscribe to our podcast. Catch our next podcast to learn more application tips and hear from another awesome resident.